everybody. It is good to be here and it's good to have the biker crew here and to celebrate uh, God calling someone to ministry and someone answering that call. It's an important thing. And today's a little bit of a, an interesting gap in our sermon schedule. I put snow days in the calendar for once and then we didn't use them. Okay, so we kind of took advantage of, of getting to have the black sheep here and so this is going to be kind of a shorter sermon, Lord willing. Glad no one laughed at that. <laughs> My name is David, by the way, if you don't know who I am. I'm the teaching discipleship pastor here and a member of the preaching team, Steve, the other guy who usually preaches. He's on a boat somewhere, so you don't need to call him or contact him. All right, just talk to me or someone else. He's enjoying some time, much needed, away with his wife. Um, but Dorothy was telling me a story that I think is fitting to start off today. It was a story about this little church, and there was a new pastor there. And he noticed something really odd about the way people acted during the service, that they would start in the back, which we're used to that. You know, we like to sit in the back. But then as the sermon would progress, people would slowly get up and move a few seats and sit down and then get up and move a few seats. And they would just gradually make their way to the front of the room. And he thought, well, this is really odd. So he started asking around and no one could actually tell him why they did that. Well, we've just always done this. And eventually he found his way to a very uh, old woman who had been there for, for a wicked long time. And she said, well, back in the day there was a wood stove in the back. And it would be so cold in, in the sanctuary that we would get the wood stove going. We'd all be back by the wood stove. But once the wood stove really got going, you wanted to get away from that thing and get up near the front. You see, the people had just kept up that tradition and they didn't know why they were doing it. And it turned out that they were doing something that was actually meaningless because the why was no longer there. Now the issue is some traditions are like that. It's some silly thing we started doing a long time ago. We don't even remember why. And it doesn't really matter. But the issue is we can't just throw everything we do out the window because some traditions in the church are life-giving. Some of them are even commanded by Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The core activities of church matter since they flow from the reality of being one body in Christ. The core activities of church matter since they flow from the reality of being one body in Christ. A few weeks ago, we were in a series going through lies, addressing lies that we believe. And so I'm going to use that format just briefly. And there's a lie that we often believe, some of us believe, that watching church is enough. That watching church is enough. I think this was a trend that I think we've seen build up more and more and more in church over the years. That people desire to have a church that is more like a show where you can show up, watch the show, go home, and no one's going to talk to you. No one's going to speak to you. No one's going to invite you over to their house. You just want the show. But then COVID happened. And unfortunately, what a lot of people got, the message that a lot of people heard during COVID was, yep, you can just stream it and that's fine. That counts. That's all that really matters. But yet there's so much more to Christian fellowship. Watching church is not enough. The truth that we would use to treat this is that the Bible frames church in terms of gathering and belonging. Gathering and belonging, not just watching. 
So once again, I'm going to go wicked quick through this. So the pace is going to be a little bit different than normal, but there's a word that's used in the New Testament in the original Greek for church. It's the word ekklesia. There will not be a quiz. You don't need to remember that. But it's important for us to know that because this word means summoned assembly. It refers to a group of people that are called out. It harkens back to these Greek city-states where they would call people together to vote or call people together for a town meeting. We think of uh, often a very different idea of church when we use that word. We think of a, a building or an organization, but the word is referring to people gathered together and called out. That is what church is. That is the word that God uses to describe his people. And in the Old Testament, when God was talking about his people Israel, he used the term assembly. You could see an example of that in Psalm 16.3. I'm uh, sorry, Psalm 1.5, and he refers to them as saints. You can see that in Psalm 16.3, assembly and saints. Saints in that God is making his people holy, has called his people holy, and assembly in that he has brought them together. And lo and behold, these same terms sneak into the New Testament and refer to us today. That we are the ecclesia, we are the summoned assembly, and in Romans 1, 7 and other verses, Christians are referred to as saints. By the work of Jesus, we are made holy. So there's an aspect of church that is entirely just about what God has done for us. He is the one who makes us holy. He is the one who has brought us together. But in response to that, there is something we do in that we come together as his people physically. We come together in fellowship and worship. And there's a temptation for us to reduce these two elements, right? The identity that God has given us and then what we do in response to extremes. And that you'll run into people that say, well, I have no need of church. God saved me. That's all that matters. No, going to church doesn't get me saved and that's true. But it's something that God has called us to do. And on the other extreme, you will run into people that are very involved in church. They are there multiple times a week. They are serving in every capacity yet they have very little relationship with the living God. Right? There's two elements there, what God has done for us, and yet how we respond in living in community with the church, with God's gathered people. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and there are other verses that build this image. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We are Christ's body. A bunch of different people. We look different. We act different. We're gifted differently. Yet God, if he has saved us, if we have put our trust in Jesus, he has brought us together into one entity. We are the body. Christ is the head of that body. And so there are a few ways this plays out. There are a few elements of what we do as a church that reflect this reality of being Christ's body, his one body gathered together, called out. And the first is the Lord's day. And that's a term we don't even use that much anymore, the Lord's Day. We are here together celebrating the Lord's Day Sunday, worshiping together. Now this kind of trickles back to the Sabbath. God had given Saturday to his Old Testament people, Israel, as a day to rest and worship. There were those two elements to the Sabbath, rest and worship. And they had a bunch of laws and regulations and little even seemingly nitpicky things that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now for us as Christians under the new covenant, we know that we're not under those restrictions, yet still God calls us to come together and worship 
and in a sense also calls us to rest. He still calls us to this. We see the tension here in Romans 14.5. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And then Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a tension between these two verses, these two principles. Because on one hand, guess what? We're not under all those ceremonies and nitpicky laws. You know, people in churches used to get into arguments about, you know, could you play cards on Sunday? Are you allowed to go to the movies on Sunday? Okay, that is an issue of personal conviction. Personal conviction. Yet, because we are God's gathered people, we gather together. And the day that we generally do that is the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Sunday. We've been given the Lord's Day to do that. Now, are there exceptions? Absolutely. But I think often the exceptions we give ourselves are not necessarily the ones that would be justifiable in Scripture. How we live out a pattern of rest, right? How much can you work on Sunday? Or, or what can you do on Sunday? That is personal conviction. But Sunday worship is not about the individual. Sunday worship is not about your own personal conscience because the reality is we've been gathered together into one body and we live out that reality one day a week together. That is why this day is special. And it's a different experience singing here together, praying here together, and we are living out a spiritual reality that we are one in Christ. One in Christ. The core activities of the church matter since they flow from, from the reality of being one body in Christ. All right, we're moving on to the next one, giving. Something we don't like to talk about too much because it involves money. Giving is recognizing that all we have belongs to God and we belong to each other. Everything we have belongs to God, but we also belong to each other. That in giving, we support each other. We support God's ministers. We support missionaries. We support the mission of the church. We give as an act of worship, obedience, and trust. There are a multitude of reasons we give, and we can find those all throughout Scripture. There is one major change in the Old Testament. Their giving was very structured, right? You had a tithe. You had offerings you had to bring to the temple. And here for us under the new covenant in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 9, we see that God wants us to be cheerful givers. The giving, in a sense, is very much between us and God. He doesn't say, well, here's you know, your 7% tax or whatever. But... Giving is something that affects the whole church. And we also see this in the instances it pops up in the New Testament. That at times the leaders called people to give, to take care of a need, to take care of other people in the church that were suffering, or a church over there that was enduring a famine, or to support a missionary that was going to this lost people group. That we do have a collective responsibility to chip in for the work of the kingdom. And yet when we see church as a show, this has been lost this has been damaged, people might see, well, I'll, I'll drop 20 in the plate and that's kind of my admission fee. Okay, please just don't do that. That's why we don't pass the plate anymore. Giving is something for God's people to do to support the work. But when we consider a show, 
something is lost. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he said, look, during the heyday of our church, quote-unquote heyday, we'd have 500 people in attendance on a Sunday morning. We have 130 now, and the giving has gone up. So many people, they just want to come in, have their show, and then go home. And obviously, if you're an unbeliever here, we don't want your money. We aren't trying to squeeze it out of you. We are glad that you've come here to hear about what God is doing. But if you are a Christian, there's something to invest in here. The core activities of the church matter since they flow from the reality of being one body in Christ. Church membership. In membership, we covenant together to support each other, being the type of community God calls us to be. Now, you will not find the Hollis Center Church membership covenant in the back of your Bible. It's not there. You won't find it, okay? But membership is something we have created to try to live out together, support each other in living out the commands of Scripture, in living out the type of lifestyle that Christ calls us to. Membership is the agreement to live as a Christian here at Hollis Center Church. And it's important. And something that kind of bothers me is, is often people will want, they'll say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I call this my home. Do I want to be a member? No. And in essence, when people do that, they're saying, look, I want the benefits of being part of this family, but I don't want the responsibility. Membership is important. The core activities of church matter since they flow from the reality of being one body in Christ. We are members one of another. We have a responsibility. If we see a brother or sister falling into sin, we want to say, hey, there's something wrong going on here. Let me encourage you. Let me draw you back. Let me give you some accountability. Can I bring a meal over? There's a a work that we are doing together. It's not just about ourselves coming to a place once in a while. We need that support. Baptism. We baptize to represent God's work of bringing someone into his body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we say, look, there's nothing that I can do to win my salvation. I know there's nothing I can do to fully please you because I'm a sinner, but I trust Jesus that you died for me. You've paid the bill. You rose from the dead. We're forgiven, but at that same time, the Holy Spirit does an awesome work in our life and brings us into the body of Christ, the universal church, one body. And this is something that we celebrate in baptism, that when someone trusts in Jesus, we bring a baptismal out here or we meet down by the river somewhere and we dunk them under the water as a symbol that they have died with Christ and they are raised with Christ to a newness of life. That it is a symbol of that spiritual work that God has already done in baptizing them into his body, bringing them into his family. So baptism isn't just about the individual. It's sad so often in churches, there are Christians running around and say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I've been saved. Have you been baptized? No, I don't really want to do that. Firstly, it's something that Christ commands us in Matthew chapter 28. But it's not just about the individual. It is encouraging to have people gather together and to watch what God has done in someone's life, to hear what God is doing, and to see they're saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And we are celebrating what God has already done and bring that person into the collective. It's not just about the individual. 
The core activities of church matter since they flow from the reality of being one body in Christ. And lastly, today I'd like to talk about communion, and that is the Lord's Supper. We receive the Lord's Supper to both remember the work of Christ and identify as members of God's gathered covenant people. We receive the Lord's Supper to both remember the work of Christ and identify as members of God's gathered covenant people. I mean, some of you, you know, if you've been to different types of churches, maybe there's been a big chalice of wine and a big loaf of bread up here or some little wafer that a priest puts in your mouth. Traditions vary, but you'll find the same elements carry some form of bread and some form of fruit of the vine, whether that be grape juice or wine. Now, this is not some magical grape juice. It's not a potion. It's not going to give you superpowers. Okay? But this symbol is very special. It's very special. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read a little bit. This was written to a church that was very dysfunctional. And so they're being instructed how to celebrate the Lord's table. Starting in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's often where we stop reading, but it continues on saying, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Excuse me, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now there's a lot in there, and we even get the fuller picture if we went back a chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. And in these two little bits talking about the Lord's table, we see there's kind of a dual meaning to when we celebrate communion together. That in communion, we remember what Jesus did. We look at that bread that is broken and we remember his body that hung on the cross, his legs that were broken. We remember the sacrifice of Christ for us that we might be made well. And when we look at that juice or that wine, we remember the blood of Christ that was spilled for us that makes us clean. But there's also another meaning. Because Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is by Jesus' blood that he brought his people together. It's by his blood that he created his church. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul, in writing to these people, says, look, uh, there's one bread. And you break off little pieces of it, and obviously we don't do that here, but the idea still carries that there's one bread, and that represents one body. That there's one body. So what we do today, this is a powerful symbol. We celebrate in the church to remember what Christ has done for us. But in doing so, we also declare that if we have trusted in Christ, we are part of his body. 
We're part of his people. And that's why this is a symbol for Christians. If you are not a Christian here, if you are not a born-again believer, if you have not trusted in Jesus for your salvation, please do not take part in this. This is not for you. I would not want you to eat or drink judgment on yourselves. That's why we ponder and we discern the body. We sit down and, and know, yes, I am part of God's people because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So let's do this together. First, we'll take the bread. Let us remember Christ's body that was broken and let us celebrate that we are one body in Christ. Amen. Now let's take the cup. look at this cup, let's, let's remember that this cup had an effect. That Christ's blood wasn't just spilled and, and fell into the ground for nothing. But by his blood we are forgiven. By his blood he established his church. So let's take this in remembrance of the risen Savior. Lord, we are people who struggle. We find ourselves doing the things we do not want to do. We find ourselves sinners, unable to perfectly keep your commandments. And so we praise you and thank you that you provided a way for us to have peace with you. We further praise you that that peace is not just personal, but in a world where often our families are broken, our friendships are broken, our nations are broken, you have given us a new nation, a new family, your people, your gathered people. And though church itself is not perfect here in this life, we praise you that there is one church, one body that you have made, and we will get to reign with you forever. So please lead us in praise today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.